chips in. He's always the provocateur. And he yeah. just, no, you know, everybody else is quite polite and says, looks good. Your, your response from the day was like, how's is this going to beat Clash Royale? I saw I'm this as well. <laughs> <laughs> friends, welcome to the Metacast Roundtable by Navic. And today I'm joined by David Amor, CEO at Playment, Matej Lancharic, user acquisition and marketing consultant, and yeah. podcast host for Two and a Half Gamers. If you want to nice. check it out, it's very interesting topics that they discuss. And Mika Ahonen, co-founder at Lightheart Entertainment. Hey, Maria. Hello. 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 Ah, Mika, it's our first, uh, our first episode together. Yeah, it is. It's I guess it's been a long time coming, but uh, finally the stars aligned. Yeah, you've been busy at Lightheart. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we've been busy actually making our second game. So uh, full steam ahead with uh, two game teams now. Nice. Uh, first oh, yeah. game still doing well. Another one in the pipeline. I remember we, we discussed how did how you did marketability test for the second game, and now it's uh, it's already coming along. Nice. That's that's good to hear. Yeah, we actually did. Did do a small scale marketability test for that, but uh, we can take that discussion offline. Yeah, maybe yeah, yeah, nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Matei's in uh, San- you in Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara, Santa yeah, Barbara? yeah, yeah. The dialing in from Santa Barbara. So if you see me moving uh, like weirdly, uh, it's the connection because I'm not sure like how is it possible that the US is just very terrible in terms of the internet speed. I will try my best. It's a big, it's a big country. It's a lot of table. <laughs> okay, what, I would make why, sense. Why are you there? Is it, is it vacation? Yeah, it's a vacation slash working from uh, anywhere in the world because I can. Okay. <laughs> sure. I don't and now, uh, oh, just a joke aside, my wife just fell in love with Santa Barbara when we were here a couple of years ago. I think it was her first GDC. So we went traveling, and then uh, as soon as we came here, then she just, she said, "Okay, so uh, this is the town." <laughs> so when we were discussing where to go uh, with my wife and uh, my daughter, we were thinking about Maldives or US. And since my daughter is still like not sitting or crawling or anything, the Maldives would be well, pretty boring and uh, and really challenging. So this is actually like better place to be. We can go out, walk around, and uh, spend some time outside. And it's pretty sunny, so it's thirty degrees outside. So I'm getting some tan anyway. <laughs> Wow. Nice. Nice. Um, I'm so jealous. It's so cold in London. <laughs> well, I Wait hope, uh, yeah, it was cold in Slovakia as well. So I hope when I get back in June, it's going to be already pretty sunny there as well. Definitely. Trying to avoid the cold. Oh, um, oh, sorry. Sorry. I was changing topic. Do it. Oh, um, I was, I always love talking about the weather. I have to avoid talking about the weather to not be a traditional <laughs> English person. <laughs> yeah, um, Mika, I actually don't know what kind of games um, Lightheart Entertainment does. What kind of genre is it? We make uh, action arcade games for, for mobile. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, wait, wait. So the first game. Why did you say, why didn't fire? you say Hypercore? <laughs> oh yeah, it's Cypercore. It's in our come investor on. pitch, and because yeah. for the investor pitch, you need to come up with a word. So we came up with Hypercore. Um, 
I don't know what that is, but it sounds pretty cool. <laughs> it sounds way better than Action Arcade. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first game is uh, is a 2D action platformer, uh, Mission Road of Fire. Um, so yeah, you can you can check it out. Uh, just just search for Mister Auto Fire. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely sense. check it out. I like I like arcade games. It's really cool game oh, well, with um, really cool cool creatives as well. You're targeting me a lot, and I I enjoyed it all, always. <laughs> did you work on this? Did you did you participate, Matei? No, I didn't. Unfortunately, I unfortunately. But oh, okay, I, you okay. Know, I thought you, know, you were going to do a I, I can <laughs> anytime. <laughs> yeah, we're going to continue trying out the new format today. Um, so similarly, as in the past episode, if you have any feedback, it would be awesome for you to share it with us. You have our email address in the podcast notes and, and in the YouTube description, or just contact us through the socials as well. We're really, really keen to hear what, what you think about it. And on that note, we're going to jump into David's topic. So David, what did you bring today? Yeah, I like this because we were talking about it over Slack and you say, let's talk about this board ache, yoga thing, because that seems interesting. And then just before the podcast starts, I have to intro it. Well, I don't have all the data to hand us. I just show up and talk about stuff. If I feel like this a new sense of responsibilities, so I'll give this a go. I haven't not given it too much thought. But yoga, which are the uh, stewarding company, maybe you would call it, behind the Board 8 Yacht Club and various uh, variations, derivative projects of that, uh, launched a coin a couple of weeks ago. And then this weekend launched the a land sale for their forthcoming game, Other Side. And it was hotly anticipated. Obviously, Board 8 Yacht Club is... The, the biggest NFT set, probably by transaction volume and value. Well, Moonbird, most probably. Oh, yeah, that's right. Moonbird, is, I suppose, are the most recent one. Although yeah. I still think Board 8 Yacht Club probably... Uh, yeah, yeah, in terms of sure transaction volume, most probably is the biggest one, yeah. Well, they've been around for a while as well. They're yeah. sort of OG status, right? Yeah, true. Uh, and you know, when they talk about doing something new, obviously everybody pays attention. They're going to come out with a game. It's going to be called Other Side. You're going to need other deeds in order to use this new Metaverse-style game, which doesn't have a lot of definition. But everything that they've done in the past has done well in terms of anybody that's invested in it. Obviously, anybody that bought Board Apes back in the day has done exceptionally well from that, or indeed things that they've done subsequently, so it's hotly anticipated. And the launch of their land sale happened over the weekend. And, it, you know, to generalize, I would say it did not go well. I mean, it went well in the sense Why that didn't it go well? Because it wasn't very well organized, Matei. You know, so I suppose you would say they received $300 million from the sales of their land. You know, I think you would say, I guess that's good. You know, that, that has gone well for them. <laughs> but anybody that wanted to take part and buy it, it, it was a very difficult process. It was a slow process. And, and perhaps most importantly, it was a very expensive process. Yeah. Uh, $180 million dollars spent by people trying to mint this NFT. And I think the general consensus, from my point of view of doing something in this sphere, it was avoidable. You know, that it was a, a sort of messy um, launch, which uh, should have been avoided by people that ought to be know what, know what they're doing. 
And I, I think that was a little frustrating. We were hoping for something a bit better organized. Didn't yeah, the founder really or the person who created, I think someone, the person who created Ethereum also responded on Twitter saying that actually it wasn't possible to avoid? I, I don't, I don't know if this is entirely true, but at least that that seems to it, be his position. It's rare that I will go against Vitalik. You know, that's a dangerous thing to do. Yeah. But on this occasion, <laughs> he is not right. There are, he's right insofar as hey, if you try and do a lot in Ethereum all at once, then the gas price will go up, and that how it manages demand. But then, how about not trying to do a lot of things on Ethereum all at once? Why not find another way of distributing land to people that want to buy it. And that could be on a side chain. It could have been done there and then released back onto Ethereum over the course of a week or two, sort of managed back onto Ethereum. Or it could have been done as a possible to do it like a stage rollout on Google, for example? You know? Or like 10%? Well, that's all... You know, you know how how much interest there is. Yeah, true. So why not just... It's a little bit like maybe this is too. It's a bit like Glastonbury tickets, where you know you need you know there's going to be demand, so you build systems in place to deal with it, and they didn't, and that seems odd to me. But look, yeah, even, even when was... like a lot of people were frustrated about uh, the whole land sale. Eventually, they made a lot of money on the secondary market. Anyway, I mean, afterwards, they well, anybody. Anybody that was able to buy one, right? Yeah. So I think you're right. Um, it's there's no, you know, it is a successful project in that anybody that got one now they're worth more. Yeah. But then that would be the case anyway. I suppose we're really commenting on the way that it, in which it was done. Sure. It's still waste, right? Like you yeah. could have saved a lot of uh, money that just disappeared by by managing it properly. If if I got got it right, you that's did. that's how I understood it. Yeah, because I, I didn't know that this could happen. But if you're trying to mint something at the point where the gas prices go up, if you don't have enough Ethereum to finalize the cost of the gas fee, you'll actually lose all of the Ethereum that you were putting into it. And so people yeah. just lost Ethereum and didn't get anything in return for it. Yeah, and you have what's called a gas war where um, the more gas you commit, sorry, the more Ethereum you commit, to making that transaction happen, the higher the chance of it you that's of you being successful. But that does mean that if you were spending gas and you didn't commit enough, then that could disappear and you not get anything. Now they said they're going to reimburse the people that have done that, but then mm. that creates its own set of problems. Yeah. Um, so it's just unnecessarily messy uh, from somebody that should know better, I suppose. Yeah, I think they should definitely know better uh, for the size of the company, the the hype around them as well, and they should. They it just looks like they just didn't care about <laughs> about the players at all. <laughs> That's pretty dangerous, especially in the blockchain space. Yeah, and they, and they sort of pointed the finger at Ethereum a little bit. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's not cool. Come on, you know, there, there were ways around this. You just didn't think about it properly. Yeah, like they said, well, like, this is how Ethereum works. Come on. It's like, sure. But like you said, they can, uh, they could do something else. And then, what? Well, maybe this was a buildup for for their own chain in, in the future. We don't know. 
Yeah, I well, that's that's the rumor going around. Yeah, yeah. That it was, I'm not sure. I don't buy into it. It was all a ploy and it's yeah. a strategic conspiracy. However, it does play nicely into the. Yeah, it's a good narrative around the. Yeah, the, the narrative. Stated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I have another point to make. Sort of the other interesting thing that I found was so the it's 300 million dollars that's going to go toward a other side game. And an interesting company that um, that was sort of on the credits for this other side game is Improbable. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Improbable, but they've sort of been in the games industry for the last eight years, building and having, what, $750 million worth of investment, maybe a bit more. So huge amount, London-based company, huge amount of investment, promised the world on a stick in terms of a general purpose AI that everyone can build games from. But in that period of eight years, I think they've had maybe four or five cancelled games. I don't think any game has come out. And those are the people that are behind the forthcoming game. So I wouldn't, you know, I don't know any more detail than that. But um, I, I don't see that as a particularly safe pair of hands to create a board eight yacht club game. There is a perfect position for an improbable pun there. But I will not do it. <laughs> I think you just did. Yeah, he kind of did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that got. Uh, I um, Jan did a post on on the social networks about this, and I'm very much aligned with the perspective. All respect for Yuga Labs, and they've done something that's hard to replicate, and they are unique in their position and brought something new to the world. It just leaves me a bit disappointed with the dream that was being sold in terms of crypto. It's all about decentralization, democratization. Um, at least my understanding from that is sharing value across everyone and not only the rich getting richer, which is what happens in the centralized world. And so I was expecting companies to just try to make this accessible to everyone and not price people out significantly and everyone being able to, to join in. And just seeing this happen, I, it's just impossible for me to buy in and be part of this club. It just makes it feel like, you know, the high school club that everyone wants to belong to, but only a few are able to to join. It just feels too too exclusive to what the decentralized dream is. Yeah, well, I would say that what we've seen happen over the last week is uh, the wheels coming off that idea a little bit because... Now there's way too much demand for far too little supply, artificially created. The money's going towards something that probably isn't going to be a great game. Probably, I mean, early to say. So there's nothing particularly good about it. And it feels like a a company that was seen to be uh, thought leaders in this space have now made errors that you don't really believe in this version of blockchain. At least I don't. You know, it's, it's less interesting to me. Yeah, regarding the game, have you played the Mutants versus Apes that came from uh, from you? It, it's just a Archer clone without any monetization, uh, and it's just I'm not sure. The I think the the number of players who played that game is like 30k, which is ridiculously low for this type of uh, well hype around the, the whole uh, whole brand. So I'm not sure about the, the other side. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, they, they do have this idea that their ape coins, which is sort of part of their universe, gets used in other mobile yeah. games or other all, all kind of games. But I don't know. I'm, I'm becoming increasingly cynical about how well this is going to work. 
Well, yeah, it looks like it, they're doing the, the the opposite way how I think uh, the whole space will evolve. So first you just build the game, then put the blockchain layer, layer and try to implement it wisely and uh, in some logical way. And then uh, on top of it, you just uh, do all these uh, NFT sales, land sales and whatever else that actually is a part of your economy and not the, the other way around. I mean, the other side is supposed to be a, a metaverse for, uh, you know. If, of course. <laughs> rather than, <you laughs> what <know>? else? <laughs> <laughs> rather than mobile games that happen to use the token. But I just, I just, I just haven't seen anything that I, I find easy to get behind. Yeah, well, hopefully lessons will be learned and we'll see other companies also learning from what happened, just taking other, other strategies. We'll have to see. Um, on that note, Matei, well, what do yeah. you have for the roundtable? It's a very good segue to yeah. It's a very good segue to to my my topic, and uh, it's a shameless plug because I wrote this this piece uh, a while ago. <laughs> a while ago, yeah, was, we classified it intro. as we classified <laughs> it as cheating. Yeah. <laughs> it's cheating, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry about that. But I still, I still believe it's it's pretty interesting topic of uh, the UA for uh, well, free to play versus uh, blockchain games, and and since we saw quite a quite a big figures invested in the games in terms of the blockchain, and uh, I think there are questions to be to be asked about how should we go about uh, scaling the the marketing activities or the ua on uh, on blockchain games would the, the old free to play model or ua framework work or are there some some similarities between um, the free to play versus the the blockchain games uh, methodologies in terms of the the ua so so i just um and interrupt me anytime uh, you, you want uh, if I say something stupid or is something that uh, doesn't uh, um, doesn't um, ring a bell. So I, I I did a comparison between like Web two and Web three and uh, how the how the different um, marketing activities change. So I'm just gonna run through the Web two first and then the Web Web three as a comparison and then. And with uh, with the um, hypothesis I have, um, so basically with Web two, I think there are still like the traditional UA channels like uh, Facebook, Google ad networks, and and the TikTok. You're paying attention to the App Store optimization and trying to to run the UA for the the value optimized players, um, ad revenue versus in app revenues, and then using um, something like influencer marketing, different tools like Epony or Sensor Tower, and then using for tracking uh, mobile marketing partners. And uh, and basically before every every game is is, um, is created, I think um, what we discussed the first uh, with uh, with Mika is the marketability test where you just uh, test your uh, your uh, game and visual styles and then ask uh, players some questions. So how this change uh, when you're going to the Web3? So... I see slightly different UA mix from um, from the um, the games I work on at the moment, which is more leaning toward the Twitter, um, TikTok, maybe Reddit, uh, Google, YouTube mostly. But then instead of uh, App Store optimization, there is a huge emphasis on the landing page uh, conversion rate optimization, which is where that's the web that's the funnel you are uh, you're working with on the on the Web three games at the moment. And instead of uh, Facebook uh, fan pages, you're mostly on discord and telegram building the the communities 
then um, insert in in terms of the mobile, um, or not mobile, instant, in, t- in terms of the marketing activities, you're using um, AMAs uh, written or live on Twitter spaces or t- on Telegram. You write more like blogs and developer updates rather than just, uh, you know, um, talk to the community in terms of the web too. Then you have the Dapradar, Rarity tools and some other tools instead of the Epony and Samsung Tower, mm-hmm. which is on the, on the web two side. And then, you know, trying to look at the analytics as well, it's very different from the mobile space. Uh, you're using more like segment mix panels and these type of tools. And then what is not used that much in the in the free to play is email marketing. And then now we're going to the like Web3 specific uh, marketing tools, which is like pre-sale market validations. Also, this uh, land sales, uh, what we discussed in the in the previous article, and then also what is really important in the Web three space is uh, our guilds, basically, and uh, this can be used as a as a UA tool quite quite heavily. And I know, like uh, David, has some opinions about that as well. So, how, like do, you, how all, do you know that? Of, Have yeah. I said that? Yeah, well, I'm not sure. Well, we discussed this in the in <laughs> the too. in one Slack channel, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. Okay, carry on. Sorry. So just to just wrap it up, um, I think community building is very very important for uh, Web three games, but I think uh, it it should be divided into uh, like two two stages. So before the game is live, um, the building community pre-sales, airdrops, and and building a hype around uh, the game is really important. But after you launch the game, I mean, you can rely on the community, yes, but then like more traditional UA um, activities come to place. And it needs for, from my opinion, like for game to be scaled, you need to be in the control of, of all the marketing activities. And this is done by just uh, the traditional UA. Do you know- are there actually companies that are doing direct response marketing? on Web3 games? Yes, but it's slightly different than... Uh, Wait a second, what does direct response mean? It's uh, BUA, or like... Okay, performance marketing. Showing, showing, an, showing an ad and expecting the user to actually click on it, uh, do, do a thing. So in this case, convert to a player of your game. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, but it's not done on mobile, but it's more done on, on the web, I would say. Yeah. Do you know, I make a, uh, a prayer to the marketing gods that performance marketing is not a part of Web3. You know, I, I know that you've made... Uh, I'm, yet. I'm, I think yet. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. You do? I hope yeah, I, I think so too. It'll eventually converge. Because at one point, there's just going to be too many games for the hype that can be created. I can and you'll still, start fighting for the hype. Still, I can still pray for that. Do you know what I, I find really sad is that if I, if I was to release a mobile game that was successful, not unsuccessful, successful, and we all know this, we've all done this before, then if I make a dollar, then 30 cents of it goes to Apple or Google, 60 cents goes to Mark Zuckerberg or Mr. TikTok, and then I see 10 cents. And I hate the idea that 60 cents of marketing dollar uh, money goes to on performance marketing. And I know it's very effective, but I just don't like that as a model, Matei. So I hope uh, yeah, I, okay. I hope you're wrong. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know what, Let's David? See. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think like I performance that. marketing only means that uh, you measure what you spend, right? 
So so because marketing okay. used to be this blob of money that didn't get accounted for. I see. And at some point we figured out that we can actually measure this spend. So okay, we needed so, to give it a so new name. To be but clear, it's still then, just marketing, right? It's 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 part of yeah. your marketing toolbox. It's it's yeah, it's not I, a black science, it's just something that you can measure. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, so yes, I suppose what I'm talking about is social media marketing, and you're right, it is performed. Although you would say, and you know this better than me, that presumably post-IDFA, then the performance part, the measuring part, has presumably got a bit more difficult anyway, right? So Definitely, definitely. It's true, yeah. But it's and, still money going in, money going out. It's not that hard. But what I really hope <laughs> that, that happens in Web3 is that the people that... Um, I love the idea that you can motivate the people playing the game to be sort of ambassadors for the game or to help grow the game. So if your game has tokens and those tokens have real world value, then you can motivate people essentially with with dollar value to to do the things that you want to see them do in game. And I'd far sooner give the players my marketing dollars than give it to Facebook and Google and TikTok. Yeah, of course. uh, 100%. But then uh, is this um, really controllable from from your side and scalable as well? You know, you can put all the tokens you you can to motivate players, but is it going to be a lot of players in in the end or just a couple of uh, the key opinion leaders? in the game that they're going what, to. What do you think, Maria? You need to cut through the noise with uh, back back on Facebook? Is that what you're telling me? Back on Facebook? What? Well, what I mean to say is you said that you're going to have to use social media in order to, in a, in a much more noisy Web3 space, you're going to have to go lean on traditional marketing methods like Facebook and Google. Or did I mishear you? I, I, I think that the strategies we use nowadays in UA they'll eventually be more required. You won't be able to just fully rely on rely on hype drain and word of mouth in order to get players to, to your game as the market becomes more more saturated. I, I think it will still, I think ambassadors will continue to be a major um, part to play in UA. I, it, it feels like this scaled influencer program that Web2 games have nowadays, but with different incentives and ways of getting influencers on board. It's different kind of of content creation. Mika, what's your wish to the marketing gods? <laughs> uh, better conversion. <laughs> it's always yeah, the same. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't change. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious what this prayer is. I need, <laughs> need to add it to the show notes. <laughs> it's it's a private thing. <laughs> and Matei, is anybody actually are you starting to work with Web3 companies to actually put some of these ideas into action? Yeah. Yeah. Uh it's uh moving into the right direction. It's not like um the same level of uh scale yet as uh, with mobile games, but step by step. It's still pretty new for everybody. Yeah, I was so excited to get an ad for Star Atlas. It made me feel it made me feel <laughs> special. <laughs> the world thinks I'm a Web3 audience. Gosh. Oh, well. Um well that that's a good tie-in for um Mika's um topic about scaling a new game. So new Warcraft game was announced. I actually haven't looked too much into it. Yeah, so um this week Blizzard announced a new mobile game, uh, Warcraft Arclight Rumble. The name is kind of a mouthful, 
But uh, but first of all, it's kind of back to the roots. It's a Warcraft strategy game. So kind of like that's actually the Warcraft that I grew up with um, before World of Warcraft. Uh, the gameplay is essentially Clash Royale with some things changed around, I would say. Uh, but obviously with the Warcraft IP. Uh, call it action strategy, if you will. Uh, I've heard that term be, being used for these type of games. It does have, in, like, the, the difference from Clash Royale in the core game seems to be that there's a focus on the single-player campaign. Uh, so it's like a player versus environment experience as well. Um, and obviously it, it's, it, it has... It's kind of a blizzard kind of way to do it. So there's a lot of different maps... It's kind of a big scope as well. Um, so, so, but overall, yeah, the, I was going to ask: right. Is it? Uh, I mean, is it a mobile game that looks like Warcraft, like with a sort of cartoony vibe? Is it built by Blizzard? Do you know? Yes, yes. Okay. I, I, I think it's built by, like, by, by, by actually like Blizzard in the US and and not contracted from this from China like Diablo Immortal. Um, the concept is actually interesting. Um, it's basically the concept. It looks like Clash, Clash Royale, man. Clash Royale, but PvE, looks, right? That's, yeah. that's that's it. Yeah. Um, I actually made a proto of this uh, at some point at Lightheart. We have a proto like this. We 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 didn't nice. like go forward with it, but like I I thought the concept was interesting enough, so we made a proto about it. Um, and I, why I, I you mean, didn't move forward? I mean, didn't you want to <sighs> compete with uh, Clash Royale? <laughs> Ooh, hot, I, hot questions here. So good yeah. question. Um, the interaction was kind of okay because Clash Royale interaction is okay but uh but the PvE version we just couldn't make it fun so basically what we what we thought that it would take us a lot of time to make the PvE experience fun and balance it so then we decided to move on to another prototype so it wasn't like this sucks let's not ever do it it was more like this would take a lot of work to make it fun so let's find some other prototype that that where the fun is more easy to find, I guess. That that, that was our, uh, our our thinking at the time. I, I was looking on LinkedIn, and there was a product announcement from the, the product owner of that title. And Matei always chips in. He's always the provocateur, and he yeah. just you know, you know everybody else is quite polite and says looks good. Your your response, Matei, was like, "How's is this going to beat Clash Royale?" I saw this as my- well. <laughs> <laughs> Really, I mean, I said already, like, hey, guys, great job, of course. But (sighs) direct competition to Clash Royale, I mean, we saw a lot of clones uh, not so successful. And I know, like, this is not exactly the same. But still, even with Blizzard, I mean, it's going to be very tough. Do you know what? It's a bit of an experiment for me in can a game company that's very used to doing excellent, you know, PC games, console games, PC, I suppose, primarily. But um, can they can they turn their hand to mobile free to play? And I'm sure that they can turn they can build a great looking, great playing game on mobile. But I wonder if it can monetize in the same yeah. way as the experts in the field, because that's not a given. I guess we saw it with uh, Fallout Shelter. Do you remember that back mm, yeah. a yeah. while ago? That was a sort yeah. of that felt like it was from the same team and did do quite well. But I think it was a paid game. It kind of like the it lacked uh, longevity. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, the game does look awesome, right? Uh, mm. Blizzard has a good track record of fun. 
and the IP is definitely worth something. So, so there's good things there. I would download it. I think many others will as well when it when it comes out. Uh, the bigger challenge is, like you said, or will be for for the Blizzard team. Obviously, I don't know what the game is like yet, but this is like speculation. Uh, but but I think it will be interesting to see how they how they deal with this. Basically, the retention and the monetization part of it. So basically, all of the progression systems in the game. If we look at Blizzard's track record on free-to-play, it's Hearthstone. And Hearthstone's monetization is a little bit special because it's basically a trading card game just digitally. And the systems match that. So you release new cards. Uh, kind of rudimentary, but it works. Uh, Heroes of the Storm, great game, financial failure. Uh, the free-to-play design is just utterly bad. Um, and building these kind of solid free-to-play progression systems, um, it's pretty hard. Uh, and it's something that I don't think we've really seen from Blizzard yet. Uh, and uh, then again, like taking Hearthstone systems into this game, it, it will not work. Uh, units in this game will be so much more complex than cards. Uh, you cannot possibly just provide the amount of content that you need to feed this like trading card game uh, content machine. So yeah, yeah that, you, that's that's, you do that's need uh, very deep expertise that... on on the mobile free to play space to be uh, successful and to be successful in this specific genre and the game. So it's I, I think the the challenge is I think it's much harder to make a game that monetizes a level that you can do positive ROAS um, ad spend than it is to make a great game that plays well and looks good. It's a real shame, but I mean, yeah. the App Store has got mil- a million games that play well, look great, but, uh, you know, are yeah. dead because you can't market them. So I wouldn't, I certainly not writing it off at this point, but that feels like more of a challenge than making a great game. That's, that's why I'm so surprised, though, because I saw the announcement and I looked at the visuals and the website. It's a fully fleshed website. It looks like it has a lot of features from the get-go in the release. I, I don't know how much it costs to make, but it looks like a very expensive game to make. And then how how do you well, how do you make it profitable and then have positive ROAS? It's a lot of questions and Yeah, so there's there's like a there's like a hundred K game, there's like a one million game, and then there's 10 million game. I think that looked like a ten million game out <laughs> of those. Yeah, Obviously there's 100%. there's also a hundred million game, but but uh, not many, 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 many companies do 100 million games for mobile. But like the, the budget is definitely in many millions for, for that. And, and, and I, uh, like, compared to like like uh, what, what I kind of like, I guess my my company's way of doing is build the first hour of the game, launch the prototype, see if you can market it. Right. If players stay on for two days, and then take it from there. Uh, this is high production values from the get go. Huge launch scope. Launch with a pre-reg campaign, yeah. expensive launch trailer. Uh, I think the launch trailer cost more than Mr. Autofire's first <laughs> App Store uh, version. So, uh, so it's it's yeah. definitely like it's different. So there's, yeah. there's 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 and I'm not saying like it's wrong, but there's very different types of yeah, companies really and different ways company. of making games. Well, like, yeah. so yeah. this is what I would call a build it and they will come production uh, philosophy. Mm. And I haven't seen that work in mobile for a while. I mean, even Supercell will do soft launches, and you know, I, I can't think of anybody that's so confident in mobile they'll just go directly to a, an enormous launch. So it's, um, I mean, you, it's exactly what you do on console or PC, I guess. Yeah. I, mean, I know it's been a while, but um, so they're trying to use that playbook in mobile, but nobody else does, as far as I know. So that feels risky. Yeah, it's not going to work. 
It's Ooh, not gonna work if you eat if you are a blizzard. A definitive statement there. Bold, bold, bold <laughs> there prediction go, yeah. from Mateo. That's my bold prediction. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because yeah, that's why you do the soft launch. Because even if you build a game, ten million, multi-million game, it will have issues. And if you don't get these issues before the launch, then you are in in a very big trouble. And even like a large budgets for the global launch won't save this. So it's very, very dangerous thing to do. Yeah. I, I wonder how how much time was spent trying to make the acronym of the game be war. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, Warcraft oh, Arc Light Rumble. That explains the name. I, I did not <laughs> notice that. It's a backronym. That's what it is. A backronym. A backronym. Ah. You start with a word and then figure out. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, they they do, as you, as you were saying, Maria, I guess they have a lot of momentum behind them but because people love Blizzard and people love Warcraft and it looks great and it will play well. So they probably got some momentum that will forgive, uh, you, you know, a period of live ops while they try and fix the plane as it's scooting along. But um, I don't know, I'd rather not do that. I don't know if the momentum yeah. is starting to shake a little bit because we've we saw with World of Warcraft players left to go to Final Fantasy fourteen, so that that long term loyalty to the game could be um, reducing perhaps a little bit. I'm you know I'm just hypothesizing here. I just don't know how much the brand of Warcraft can carry a game I, to success, like Maria, Mateo was you- saying. You're heading toward a bold prediction. I'm not. One stop I'm there. Not. Come yeah. on, what's it going to be? You need to say I wish the, most, the, the biggest success. Oh, God, how boring. Oh, of course. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm yeah. Canadian at heart. Uh, <laughs> 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 on, that, on that note, um, I'll, I'll jump into the topic that I brought today, which was Embracer acquiring um, essentially Square Enix North America, really. So they're, um, they entered an agreement to acquire Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal. And they're also going to, um, sorry, Embracer Group is also going to own some of the major IPs developed by those companies, such as Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Kane. I didn't know Legacy of Kane, but apparently a lot of people are happy about it because it was a great game with some nostalgia. And the deal is going to cost Embracer 300 million in a cash deal. And I believe the lump sum will be paid in full once the acquisition goes through. It feels like a small amount of money. And I believe that's just been the discussion mainly in the industry. Yeah, here's a thought, just to link topic number one to, where are we? Topic number four. The land sales of that uh, board eight game is the same as uh, Embracer just paid. So that $300 million ties, ties the two stories together does seem low. I think everyone's feeling like that's low, but, well, but maybe it's correct. Well, uh, I think I think Embracer is buying Tomb Raider franchise and the capability to ship these AAA Tomb Raider titles. That's all. And Square Enix is divesting studios that are bleeding money. I think yeah. the, the, the bleeding money part explains the price. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, and it also seems to be there's some there seems to be some consensus in the industry, industry as well. And that's what's happening because with we look at the eye watering prices, uh, how much Sony um, acquired Bungie for, and Bungie essentially has one game right now and others in development, and that was three point six billion. Um, and now we have three companies. They have proven record in releasing AAA games. Guardians of the Galaxy 
I think it was okay. It undershot expectations of Square Enix. I don't think it underperformed that much. But these are like I think these are like two hundred million games that made a hundred million in revenue. Yeah, I think it was the Avengers game that had two hundred million in losses. Um, I think that the, they don't have any absolute heavyweight hits there. Like uh, yeah. Tomb Raider is the one that I guess um, means the most to people there. But then Epic gave away, well, you know, I guess it was Square Enix, but uh, on the Epic Store you can find all three Tomb Raider games for free just before Christmas, right? So how much is that? How real valuable is it really? Are people still going to pay $60, $70 for Tomb Raider in two years' time? And that's probably the the biggest, and it's probably in two years away, and it's going to cost a fortune to make. They have 1,100 people, sorry, 11,000 people in those studios they've just let go. So using, you know, a more mass. As, as but I, I think do. you're describing the thoughts that any triple <laughs> A studio would have like nowadays. That, that's you, not what do you mean? That's not like I mean like any any triple A game that you make is gonna be multiple hundred million. And at some point they will be almost free at the Epic Store. Well, after a couple of years when they're in the pack catalog. I guess I'm just saying that the Tomb Raider's star has faded somewhat and and it's I, i'm not sure you can get the level of excitement that you need to in a triple a game that's going to cost you a fortune to make uh, in two years time it feels a little tired and i think they're feeling that their money could be better spent elsewhere yeah i think um i uh, i think i saw a quote of the embracer group ceo saying if there was if this were a different time the price tag could have been different um, I believe Square Enix Montreal has been struggling to find a hit title in f- mobile free-to-play. There's some lack of expertise within these companies to do live ops. Um, Square Enix is interested in this investing and then they're getting this lump sum that they can invest in other priorities such as uh, blockchain, AI, cloud. And there's even a quote from the president of Square Enix saying that Japanese studios can't make good games if they're trying to imitate Western ones. So it, for me, it feels that they're consolidating in what they know how to do best. Because if we look at the most successful Square Enix games, such as Nier Automata, Final Fantasy XIV, that's sticking to their forte and what they know is their differentiating factor in the market. Um, and I believe perhaps before more of the... Japanese studios, maybe they felt that they needed Western studios to develop games to be successes in the West. We've seen more and more that games developed in Japan and Southeast Asia that they can be extremely successful in the West and can be developed in their in that region of the world. That's, that's I, my take on I it. I always, um, I don't want to be rude about uh, IDOS, <laughs> but, um, you know, I always felt that when Square, which when, if... For a long time, it's been very prestigious and has Final Fantasy franchise and all that good stuff. And then Enix, yeah, Enix, so that felt like a good marriage. I always thought that Eidos was an interesting, surprising choice, I suppose, as a sort of Western part of Square Enix. Um, and, you know, I don't think we've seen that those mega hits from those studios in the last, well, since they've, it's been part of Square Enix. So maybe they're just saying, look, we don't want another 11,000 people on our books doing things that, you know, probably won't be treble A's knocking out the park. 
and uh, are cutting some costs. But it's still, I noticed their revenue, Square Enix's revenue is $2.6 billion a year. So, and, and I guess running those studios would cost them about $100 million a year, something like that. So it's, it's not like they could have afforded to keep them, but it just doesn't feel like it's strategy for them. I, I wonder who is going to continue on with the licensing deal with Disney to do the Marvel games, because it wasn't part of the announcement. So it might be that Embracer Group might try to do a licensing deal directly with Disney to carry on with the sequels and do the Marvel games. I just don't see Square Enix continuing to do those kind of games. What, um, what Do they have any production outside of Japan now, or is that everything gone for Square Enix? I'm not sure, actually. I believe I read that the um, the London studio was part of the acquisition um, because they worked for one of the North American companies, but I'm honestly, I'm not sure enough to give a, a definite answer. There is also a perfect dark title upcoming from Crystal Dynamics. I think that's a Microsoft thing. Wh so, what so, is it about? Uh, I, I guess it's revival of Perfect Dark. That's a Nintendo 64 uh, uh, first-person shooter revival. But wait a second, uh, that's published, I mean, it's an IP owned by Microsoft. So what is it, a, a game for Microsoft? I think so, yeah. So I think there's like a publishing deal between Crystal Dynamics and Xbox to do this perfect dark. So, so there's all of these loose ends that I think Embracer has to somehow resolve. Well, yeah. So, so let's you know talk about the other side, which is it, I can sort of understand why Square Enix might want to let go of uh, studios that aren't knocking it out of the park, that are expensive, and they want to um, focus on something else. All that makes sense. Why is Embracer hanging on to what you might consider to be an older business model? Why does it make sense for Embracer and not for Square Enix if it does? Embracer is yeah. focused on developing single player. Um, narrative games as I believe one of their core strategies so far and this gives them the opportunity of getting a com companies that have a track record of doing so and also yeah. some some IPs that have been gathering dust you know Deus Ex that if you make a good game with that with that IP people will will go and play I think Tomb Raider also has a strong um, marketability right now. We see Horizon. There's not many games with a strong female lead that people can relate to and remember from childhood. We were talking about transmedia mm. and yeah, um, connecting with with your. I, I love to play a game where Lara Croft isn't, you know, kick-ass woman and just not following female tropes that we see a lot in games and just being an interesting person that's dominating the world. So please, can someone make a great Tomb Raider game? I'll play it. <laughs> I, think, I think that's true for Tomb Raider, but I don't think that's true for Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Cain, which are the other yeah. three IPs, I guess. I know those IPs, but like, I don't think the general public really cares about Thief or Legacy of Cain. Uh, yeah, not really. Those yeah. are like nerdy '90s niche things, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, I played Deus Ex for a very short period of time. I'm definitely a big fan of uh, Tomb Raider because I played it when I was a, a kid. Tomb Raider one and two, of course. But I'm not sure if like the the players these days can appreciate the nostalgia that uh, that we we can see in these games. Yeah, I mean, did did the last Tomb Raider? I think that is the the biggest. 
that they have, and it is big, and it's got movies, and it's in, in our yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah. So I would agree that it's a, a big IP. I wonder what the last one was. It a success for them? I don't remember hearing yeah. it was enormous. To me, it looked super polished, and um, I think it was broadly well received. But I don't think it was the mega hit. I don't know. I, I come back to this idea. I don't understand why something that evidently didn't work for Square Enix to the point that they were yeah. happy to let go of it for $300 million would make sense for Embracer who feel like, hey, uh, we're going to take the same set of people and with probably slightly different strategy, but we're going to make this a huge success. Seems. Yeah, I mean, but that's like, the thing with the Embracer buying like all these uh, companies. I mean, it's it's really weird. It's from here, there... It doesn't look like a concise strategy. Yeah. Uh, on the side. I don't know how much interaction the companies will have. Embracer acquired yeah. Gearbox, so the maker of Borderlands. So uh, perhaps there's some knowledge that can be shared. Borderlands is a successful game. It, for me, the price tag of the 300 million, I can just imagine Embracer Group just thinking, oh, this is a steal. We should just do it and see what, <laughs> what we can make of it. Because they paid two point something, I think almost three Three billion to acquire Asmodee Games, so yeah. why not spend three hundred million? That seems like a a, a yeah, good let's, deal. Let's spend three hundred million and see what happens. Yeah, it would be an interesting <laughs> valuation exercise just to get like a hotshot consultants to uh, evaluate the value of Tomb Raider IP, just the IP. Like, what's the price tag that you would put for the IP? I think mm. it would be a hundred plus million. I don't, I don't know, but. Uh, that's like a gut feeling based on, I don't know, 10-year-old research, what we did at, at, at Rovio for Angry Birds back in the day. But Yeah, I don't, know how you, I don't know how you quantify that, but you're right, that would be an interesting exercise. But it's 300 million plus then 100 million to pay everybody you know, to run that company yeah. or that set of studios every year. So it's not really 300. You don't just get the IP. You've got a yeah. hell of a payroll, right? Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think we'll wrap up the the episode here. Um, if you want to continue the conversation, we're on Discord. You can join Navix Discord. Uh, just tying back to the request for feedback. If you're enjoying this new format, please let us know so that we can keep doing it or improving in other ways. Um, and thank you all for joining. It was lovely to have you here. Some nice very to interesting you. topics. Thanks.